Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. This episode is part of a special series that was recorded at the Capri Conference in Toronto in 2019. Capri is an international network of academic GPs, and their goal is to promote more international collaboration in cancer and primary care research. And they do this by supporting networking and arranging an annual conference. In this episode, I'm talking to Robin Urquhart, who's Assistant Professor and Ramia Scientist in the Department of Surgery at Dalhousie University. We discuss her cross-sectional population-based survey, which looked at the impact of cancer survivorship care plans, how they are met, how the needs of survivors are met in the post-treatment stage. She discusses shared care and how it hasn't been widely implemented in a planned or designed way in Canada. Unfortunately, there is some noise interference in the interview, as it was recorded at the Capri conference. And I started the interview by asking Robin to give me some background regarding her role at Dalhousie University. I'm a researcher. I'm an assistant professor uh, in the Department of Surgery, actually, at Dalhousie University in Halifax. And I study, I'm a health services researcher focused on cancer, so study access to care, quality of care, but I also study a whole lot in terms of coordination of care between sectors. So I'm in surgery, so between specialist care and primary care in particular. It's a big area as well, that interface where they meet. Yeah, it is. And, you know, our systems are so siloed. But but trying to sort of have good coordination and integration of care is sort of, I think, a big system challenge we all face. Definitely, yeah. Great. And so the study that you're presenting at this conference was a a national survey across Canada. So could you maybe give us a little bit of background about how that project came about and the team that, you know, you really needed to get it up and running and rolling. The project came about uh, because we realized that many provinces in the country are really, truly trying to better integrate specialist care with community-based providers, namely sort of primary care. And we have a decent understanding of the needs of cancer survivors or, or survivors, you know, after treatment and so on. But we don't really have great data to be able to sort of help us understand where the gaps are or where the opportunities are when it comes to follow-up care and transitioning from active treatment into the follow-up period. And so we have great data sets, both patient-reported but also sort of administrative data around the treatment period, around surgical care, around the diagnosis. We don't for survivorship care or follow-up care. So this study came about, um, really was led by the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer, and they reached out to the 10 provinces and got a principal investigator in each of the 10 provinces, so I was the one in Nova Scotia, to try and get this study off the ground, which was the biggest of its kind in Canada, and it was a population-based survey where we asked people who are finished treatment, where we essentially asked them their experiences with follow-up care, their perspectives on follow-up care, what their needs are during that time, how those needs were met, the different types of providers they've seen, their confidence in different types of providers to meet their needs. So when I say different types of providers, oncologists, and but also primary care, psychosocial oncology, Uh, navigators, different models of care, and so on. So it was a very comprehensive survey that tried to look at needs in different domains, but also sort of the care that people access and whether that influences their needs, you know. And so that's, we, we wanted sort of a national data set because we really, the idea was 
we don't have a lot of good data, particularly from patients around the follow-up care period or survivorship period. But we really want to start to understand where the opportunities are to improve care. And this is the approach, I suppose, that we took. You talk about in this study that, you know, that there's evidence around primary care physician involvement in Australia. We say general practitioner, Mm -hmm. GPs. Uh, involvement following cancer. So what evidence is there actually around their involvement at that period? So there's a lot of good evidence that shows that primary care can safely and effectively follow many survivors after treatment. Outcomes are equivalent if you're in primary care or if you're in sort of an traditional oncology-led care. And so we have that evidence in our country and and certainly in Nova Scotia. There's a lot of variation in follow-up care practices. So I've been looking at population-based data, health services use, and so on for a long time in the follow-up period. And, you know, there's no sort of consistency in models of care. It's essentially up to the oncologist, and this is quite similar across the country. We have different healthcare systems, but this is similar across the country that really it's up to the oncologist whether they sort of are going to transition people back to the community after treatment or what that sort of care will look like after treatment, whether it'll be a shared care model or a primary care-led model, and so on. Um, So we have lots of evidence to show the variation there and lack of consistency in sort of how we provide follow-up care. And so you touched then on shared care as a model. Has that been widely implemented in Canada or it's still very... No, I would say it's not been widely implemented. I would say that most survivors in my province, when I look at the data, probably get shared care but not in... Uh, not in a planned or designed way. It's not a shared care program or shared care model where providers are supported along with the survivor or supported along with the care team, community-based care as well as specialist care to sort of best meet the needs of the survivor. It just happens that a person will see or many people will see both their oncology team and their primary care team for cancer-related supports and services and, and so on. So it happens, but not by design, which okay. which there's a whole lot of challenges with that, yeah. right? Because there's a lot of challenges with role clarity. I would say both duplication of care, which I've seen in my in my work, but also not getting recommended care because yeah. potentially, you know, one provider thinks the other one is doing it, and one provider. communication is always a huge issue when you talk about shared care and between providers, between patients, between different providers. Yes. I yeah. <laughs> so not by design. Does it happen? Yes, yeah. but I, but I don't think in an in an effective way. Yeah. Going back to you know this survey and how you developed it, did consumers and patients play any role in the development of this? So yes, patients were involved and have continued to be involved. We've done regular meetings and so on, both teleconference but also in person, and then to interpret the data. And patients are always at the table. So after you know reviewing your results from this survey, what what really were the biggest insights? And I suppose both maybe expected and unexpected. It's interesting. There's a ton of data in that survey. And so we haven't looked at everything yet. I think some things we expected. So the high levels of needs after treatment, for example. We know that from other literature, right? I mean, high prevalence of sort of physical needs around fatigue, pain, chronic nerves, sort of problems and so on. Uh, sexual function in prostate, for example. So there are things that certainly were not surprises. I think there are a few things that came out to me as being surprises. And one was seeking out help for one's needs. And what we found is that the majority of people don't seek help for their needs. And so much more seeking help 
for the physical domain, but still we're talking about only about 30%, 25 to 30%, depending on the disease site, are seeking out help for all of their physical concerns. But then when you get to emotional, it's much less. And practical, like return to work or school, again, much less. So we're talking about now 10% or less are seeking out help. Uh, Because I know in Australia, one of our researchers has done a large, you know, return to work campaign with a website, Mm. you know, advice for patients, doctors, but employers Mm. as well. Are there there similar resources here in Canada for patients thinking about returning to work? It is one of the most prevalent practical needs that we see in survivors. There has been work, again, that was sort of brought together and funded by the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer to develop essentially an online resource, returntowork.ca or something (laughs) like that. Both patient survivors as well as sort of practitioners, providers can go to uh, and look up different resources, even like fatigue tracking tools and things like that. But other than that, I would say no. And I remember, I think it was maybe more than 10 years ago now, doing some qualitative work back in Nova Scotia with breast and colorectal cancer survivors. And it was around the transition from treatment to follow-up care and wondering about the role of primary care. And the interesting thing that came out from that qualitative work that I wasn't expecting was how difficult people find return to work and how much of a struggle that was. So going on from that, I've actually had a number of funded studies now in return to work and trying to understand how best to meet people's needs. But as a system, speaking generally, there may be some siloed programs and so on across the country, but as a system, we don't handle that very well. And there are not a lot of good resources for people to access and so on. Particularly, I want to say not online resources. So there is an online resource that but in terms of programs and services more locally and so on, that can help people with their unique needs and so on. No, we don't do that very well. And then just one last question, where to from here? What are you moving forward with this? What will happen now? So I'm particularly interested in primary care role in cancer follow-up care. And I've been working on this for a while, but in really in trying to understand for lower risk survivors, how do we support that transition for both providers, oncology as well as primary care, and the patient. How do we support that transition back to primary care? Because that's a that's a culture change, first off. And I think there's a lot of things that play into that not always happening. But I think for even other survivors that may have higher needs or a little higher risk, how do we have planned, consistent, sort of clear models of shared care? Because I personally feel like the evidence points us to say, you know what, specialist-led, oncology-led follow-up care, for the most part, we're past that. It's unsustainable. And it's not only unsustainable, it's not necessarily the right or the appropriate care. People are cared for, the evidence would show us very, you know, acceptably, I don't know if that's the right (laughs) word, safely and effectively in primary care, but also more and more evidence is coming out that, you know, Their own costs are less in primary care. The outcomes are better in primary care. And so I think that's the appropriate place for a lot of people. And so, and interestingly, in the work I was presenting here, one of the findings that I was really happy about, but we looked at self-reported health outcomes. So self-reported quality of life, self-reported physical health, and self-reported emotional health by model the model of follow-up care they're receiving, whether it was primary care, shared care or oncologist-led care. And what we found was no difference in any of those outcomes. So where my work is going is really more around 
less generating evidence that it's safe or effective for people to go back to primary care and figuring out how to actually do it. So what strategies do we have to put in place that will, you know, hopefully mitigate or lessen the barriers yep. to sort of that transition back to the community, but also sort of leverage the facilitators that are up there. So how do we develop a very, you know, theory-informed and evidence-informed way? How do we develop implementation strategies to get this knowledge into practice, I guess, yeah. right? To get this to happen, because I think that's where we are now. Like, I think that's the, we have the evidence. I agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what we have to do, and that's what we have to focus on. So that's sort of where I see um, a lot of this leading into, actually. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you. <laughs> this was terrific. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup, produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter, where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au.